Hello and welcome to the Southern New England Ministry Network podcast. Today we're going to begin a Minister Health podcast series that focuses on storytelling. Our Director of Minister Health, Kristen Causey, is here to tell us more. Thanks, Andrew. This new storytelling podcast series uh, was developed to encourage us as ministers in our journey. We all know that stories are powerful. So we don't want to just know what you do, but we want to know who you are, what God has used in your life to help form and shape you more into his image. As we tell stories of those vulnerable, challenging moments in life, we know that they can become the catalyst to pursuing wholeness and health. And then again, we are growing and learning in community together. So we want to create safe places to be transparent, to be able to say, I am not okay, but eventually I know I will be. And when we share our stories together, it reminds us that we will. So this storytelling series will be ongoing. If you are passionate about health and wholeness in your leadership and ministry and have a story to tell yourself, we would love to hear it. So please reach out to me. Make sure you tune in for each of these episodes in the coming weeks. This first episode of the Storytelling Podcast Series, we have Devlin Scott joining us. Devlin is a relationship leader dedicated to Christianity, committed to diversity and inclusion, and passionate about people. With over 16 years of ministerial experience, Devlin serves as the senior pastor of New City Church, a church plant outside of Boston. Devlin is married to Katie Scott and has two young boys. I'm thankful for the way Devlin shares vulnerably in this episode regarding the ways painful experiences from his past has impacted him negatively. And yet as he began to process those experiences with God and others, God has been transforming that pain to help him become a more whole follower of Jesus and a healthier leader. I'm thankful again for Devlin's transparency because it reminds us that while God will redeem our past, we must deal with the ways it has impacted us. Today we have joining us Devlin Scott from Newton, and so, so excited to have you today. Devlin, why don't you just start us off by saying hi and sharing, you know, share a little bit about yourself or about your family. Sure. Hey, Kristen. I'm so glad to be a part of this and so glad to have you as a friend um, and grateful that you and the um, the network are, are focusing on, on matters like we're going to talk about today. Um, my name is Reverend Devlin Scott, and my family and I live in Newton, and that is where our church plant is as well. New City Church is three years old. Um, we planted around the same time as Kristen and Brad did with Essence Place, and we've been on this journey together literally for, for a while before that. Um, my family, my wife and I, we've been married for 12 years and we have two boys, uh, seven-year-old Ian and four-year-old Alden. And we have two fur babies. <laughs> They're both nine, Coach and Louie, um, a Boston Terrier and a Mountain Cur. And my mother-in-law lives with us as well. So full house, uh, lots of fun. Um, but yeah, so we're just kind of leaning into the community here in Newton to do the work yeah. God has called us to do. We're originally from Chicago, Woot Woot for yeah. Chicago. Yeah, that's awesome. I love what you are doing in Newton. Um, and definitely a story for another day. Uh, yeah, for sure. What God is doing there, it's really cool. So, But today we are talking about your story. Um, so again, less about what you're doing and more mm. about who you are and how uh, Christ is being formed in your life, uh, the journey that you've been on with Jesus. And so we've developed uh, this storytelling podcast series for Minister Health. It's going to be an ongoing thing that we do, um, but it's because we want to hear from our community. We want to hear from our peers and our colleagues what God uh, is doing in their life and how God is shaping their life. And sometimes that comes through crisis and sometimes it just comes through the hardness of life and the pressure of ministry and coming to these moments 
where God is getting our attention and saying, it is time to address your inner world. It is time to slow down. It is time to deal with some things. And so as I've learned more about who you are, and you've shared some of your story already with the network uh, through our Zoom call in June, um, just want to unpack that a little bit more of just some of these moments that you have had in your life um, or even current moments where God is like, address these places in your life and share what God is doing and, and how he's doing that. Yeah. I feel like I should give a little bit of some context. Yeah. Um, growing up on the South side of Chicago. And I think this is what I had to realize and unpack. I think every kid thinks they grow up and they think their, their story is kind of normal. Like, and I never thought mine was like calm, like normal, like everybody's story, but I never really realized how different mm-hmm. it really was. Um, mm-hmm. I grew up on the south side of Chicago, um, the part of the Chicago that you guys see on the news. It's, it's what I always tell people. Um, it, in the 90s, it, w- it was it was rough. It's It's rougher now, I think, maybe then. But my mom took us to church every Sunday. And uh, my dad is, uh, and my mom has like a, a doctor's degree, not mm-hmm. doctorate degree in, in BIP studies. And, but she also works in the medical field. Um, and my dad didn't finish high school. And, you know, he worked really hard to try to provide for his family. But what that meant for him in the late 80s, early 90s was getting involved in drugs and gangs and things of that sort. And my dad soon became the kind of the head of the gangs in that region mm-hmm. and um, was kind of the, I suppose, uh, using some dramatic terms, he was like the drug kingpin uh, for yeah. the area. So that's kind of the the context I grew up in. We were never allowed, if I would say, to be involved in any of that. Um, mm-hmm. But you'd be naive to think that we we didn't see it, know what was happening, mm-hmm. or understand the streets, as you would say, mm-hmm. um, in that way. Um, so. Um, and that way we were a very kind of noticeable family um, mm-hmm. and, and for good and bad reasons. Everybody knew who we was, but also everybody knew who we were. So uh, it was it was very, gotcha. very interesting yeah. growing up that way. So a lot of my trauma, a lot of the things I went through in life was just realizing just how much of stuff I saw, how much stuff I experienced, um, the relationship with my dad and, and, and not knowing just how much was there as far as it's shaping my identity as opposed to... Um, mm-hmm. You know, just thinking my my childhood wasn't that bad. We were mm-hmm. provided for, mm-hmm. um, and so we always had things we wanted and things we didn't want. We were kind of spoiled in that way. We had the latest all the time, but that wasn't our idea. That was my dad's idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you would think we grew up with with a great deal of kind of privilege cons- compared to, you know, my friends and and all we grew up with. But there was a lot that that world mm-hmm. um, that came with, um, and so. Uh, probably the biggest casualty in all of that was that my dad was, was, um, was I would describe as a shadow coming in and out of our home. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a big, tough guy and everybody knew it. And he was this standard that was impossible to live up to as far as what he expected of us. Um, and so that was the root of a lot of my, my stuff. When I was 14 years old, my dad um, um, went to prison for seven years. Um, I should know that. <laughs> He, he, this one, he was not, um, um, guilty of, but, um, Mm. but it's like, God had already kind of ordained this was happening. You needed to deal with this. Um, uh, but my dad had gotten off on so many other things. Um, and and for us as a family, it was kind of just like, yeah, it was due, this is happening. And, Mm. um, and, and, but I remember that being initially starting off as kind of a very formative time for me spiritually, where I was really, 
seeking God uh, originally so that my dad wouldn't go to prison. Like it was the first time I fasted. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first time I was like every night praying and wow. deep prayer and really trusting God for this and believing God that he wouldn't take my dad away at a time I felt was most formative for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad and my relationship had always been interesting and rocky, which I wouldn't understand why until I was an adult. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for the 14 year old, it was like, hey, I've been trying to get dad's attention. I've been trying to make dad proud. I've been trying to be the young boy uh, that dad uh, wants me to be. Um, and you can't take him away from me now. Mm, right. Yeah. So um, when I heard that guilty verdict, um, um, I remember getting up to walk out of the courtroom and just falling, collapsing, because I was like, how, how dare, how could God not answer my prayer? Um, um, and, and, and I think that was the first lesson for me in the approach of prayer, not so much as like God is a genie and he does what we want, but what does it look like to try to pray his will? Mm-hmm. Um, because my dad needed that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think God knew that my God, my dad needed that more than I needed him mm-hmm. at home. And I would need the man my dad will become um, more than the man my dad was. And so um, one of those marked moments with that backdrop is when my dad came home from prison. I was 21 years old. Um, you know, I, I have an older sister, she's the oldest, and then there's my older brother, me and my younger brother. So at the time, uh, when he went to prison, there was, um, we were all home in some degree Mm -hmm. when he came back, um, everybody was, was adults for the most part. My younger brother was still home in high school, but I was away at college. My older brother was about to get married. My sister was already married, um, and had, and started her family. And so my dad left with these young boys, you know, young teenage boys. And he was still the big guy. Mm. He came home to some towering um, teenage boys or grown boys now um, who, who had held down the fort for the most part all while he was gone. And our family had gone through so many different things. And um, when my dad came home, they always talk about these um, re-entries, how they can be so difficult. And mm. for what it's worth, the prison system tries to um, assign social workers that prepare former mm-hmm. uh, inmates to re-enter their support systems. And they talk about how important it is that they have family and all of that to return to. So we we did our part as a family and we wanted to make sure the my dad had, you know, so much when he came home, like, you know, had all he needed because we knew that that was something that most inmates don't, don't have. And I should mention that while my dad was in prison, he had this incredible, um, like spiritual experience. Um, he would get up and go to church at 8 a.m. He never would go to church with us when he was home, wow. but we got up and go to church in prison at 8 a.m. And, and one of the times he was slain in the spirit and he called us like, I don't know how to explain what happened. The man prayed for me and I fell over and I didn't, and I didn't even know what happened. It was like, Hey, dad was slain in the spirit. And so I was very aware by this point of the work that God was doing in my dad's life. And, um, and, and even that you saw my dad, um, you know, God got his attention, he, his his spiritual life was growing. I would say my dad came to faith for sure, mm-hmm. for real, while he was in prison. Um, mm-hmm. But as you would see kind of as a theme of, of these moments in my life, that that moment doesn't erase right. all of the other stuff that's underneath, right? Yep. So when my dad came home, there was one night I was back at home um, from school. Um, I remember it was the weekend before Easter that year. Um, and by this time I was highly involved in church leading worship and everything. Um, and so we had prepared, I had come home early 
to do some rehearsals and all of that. And I was laying on a couch in my family room, a couch that we had been laying on for seven years, but a couch that my dad didn't like us laying on when he was home. So he he asked me to get up and not to lay on the couch. And so I woke up from my little nap and, you know, for lack of another word, all hell broke loose. Mm-hmm. My dad's attempt to um, reinstate his position as authority mm-hmm. um, for a boy he thought or a young man he thought was getting a little, you know, too, getting his chest mm-hmm. a little too puffed out, mm-hmm. um, turned into a, a, a huge domestic situation. Um, between me and my dad, um, that really severed our relationship. One that was already very challenging to begin with, um, severed it in a very, very real way. Um, um, Yeah. And I ran, it left, it ended with me running out of the house and my dad chasing me with a bat, which was unreal sometimes to to think about. Right. Um, That's a big moment. Mm -hmm. Um, and as you'll see in my story, it, it spoke to a lot. The other two won't take as long to explain. One of the other marked moments for me um, is moving to Newton to start New City Church. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the first time I was kind of launching out on something on my own and all of this responsibility. And I think there was just this almost like an arresting in me where it was like the destiny of who I was to become and what I was to do uh, felt so big. And, and, and a lot of the, the stuff I was carrying I, I had a very real sense that I couldn't go much further in what God had called me to do without dealing with the stuff mm-hmm. that he 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 that he was calling me to deal with. And it was just like the story of Jacob and Esau, um, where towards the end of the narrative, Jacob is on the run from Laban. He's been running his whole life, stole from his brother, lied, and mm-hmm. all of these different things. He has both Rachel and Leah with him. And he's um he's about to encounter, he gets word that he's gonna run into his his brother Esau, and he panics. He thinks Esau is definitely going to, um, you know, kill him or 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 hate him for stealing his birthright. Um, but that very first deceptive thing he did, he was he was going to have to face it if he was going to go any further in this journey. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Esau actually meets him with with mercy, and and, and you get this real sense um, that Jacob is no longer going to be the same after this. It's not until it was around that same time that he's, he's wrestling with God and mm-hmm. his name has changed. And you see this turnaround of a destiny for uh, Jacob becoming Israel, but it didn't happen really until he faced kind of that mm-hmm. past that he had been running from. And so that's what it very much so felt like yeah. for me yeah. that it was like, all right, you're launching this church. You're going to do this work. It's going to be, you're going to have to deal with this stuff. Yeah. The third one is, is when I say more recent, it was in, within since having planted the church, um, there was a moment um, where I, 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 I had a nervous breakdown. Um, I'm still unpacking all of that, but it was really a lot of the same stuff. Um, stuff I thought I had kind of faced or dealt with. And realizing that forgiveness isn't the same as um, kind of unpacking stuff and, and finding healing, healing in it. Because mm-hmm. I had forgave mm-hmm. actions of my dad or actions of other people in my past. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a lot I had suppressed and just didn't mm-hmm. deal with. Mm-hmm. And this is where I learned the danger, if I, I would say, mm-hmm. of, of, of sometimes our, our spiritual culture that says, we just got to have faith. Mm-hmm. We just got to, you know, mm-hmm. we got to press on. And, and sometimes seeing, thinking that, you know, healing is always in just a moment. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I'm not saying it isn't because it is, but we 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 highlight those stories of the instantaneous mm-hmm. healing. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes we get in our minds that, hey, God did this. I'm good. Mm-hmm. And then if you ever have other stuff, you think I'm being faithless. I'm not having enough faith. Mm-hmm. So I push it. You, you push it down and you, you rebuke it. You mm-hmm. speak against it. And it's like, no, no, no. That the same spirit of God that can give you victory in moments, it's the same one who's giving you discernment about yourself. Mm-hmm. And instead of binding it up or <laughs> rebuking it, mm-hmm. maybe you need to listen to the spirit of God because it's what's yeah. it's beckoning you to come in and, and deal with this. So those are the three kind of marked moments um, for me that wow. that I've experienced that has taught me something each step in this in this journey. Wow. Thank you for sharing. Uh, just again, not surface level, you know, what you've been through or even jumping ahead to just recent past or present, but actually really going back and giving us context for what you are sharing and what you have learned and are learning. Because I do think that we often think what's in the past is in the past. And we even use scriptures like run the race Mm-hmm. Keep your eyes, you know, fixed on Christ. Don't look to the past to yeah. avoid or deny that the past actually has had an impact yeah. on our present and will continue to have an impact on our future if we don't process what we experienced in the past. And so I appreciate you making those those connections that it doesn't mean you're dwelling in it, doesn't mean that you know, it controls necessarily who you are, but it does bring some shape to, and it mm-hmm. can bring some definition to who you are until you address it. And so maybe share a little bit about how you started connecting those things. You know, if, while this has my past, you know, childhood growing up into being a young adult to now going and planting a church and being a minister and leading, et cetera. How did you start making those connections that it was, in fact, kind of shaping who you were and who you are? Mm. I think for a lot of my life, I thought I had to um, pursue God. um, um, What's the word? Kind of like um, in spite of Mm. or despite of those things in my life, Mm. um, as if they were separate from the pursuit. Mm -hmm. Um, It was like, God... You're going to deal with this over here, but I'm running hard after you. And it's like, you don't get to parse yourself that way. Right. Mm -hmm. When God called me, um, he knew who he was calling. Mm -hmm. He knew the stuff I was carrying. Um, He had been a part and the author of so much of this in my life. And even though he didn't cause the, the challenges and the difficulty in my life, he definitely uses it for my good and he wants to use it for his kingdom. And so, um, I had to realize that, God's not looking at me in these parsed pieces. Mm -hmm. And so why am I kind of approaching life in these separate ways? It's like, nope, this is also a part of you. And I think it was that moment of realizing that, um, you know, given language, you know, when I was diagnosed with some of these things like PTSD, anxiety, and depression, um, those things did two things. It it gave me language for it. Mm -hmm. It helped me kind of say, this is a part of my life. Mm. We're going to make space for this. Mm-hmm. It also was kind of like the opposite side of it. of just kind of like, seriously, I got to deal with all this stuff too, which actually yeah. gave me this, this realization that um, to, to, it made me pause and actually look at my story more. Mm. Um, instead of just thinking, you know, pay attention only to how God has used me. 
the doors he's opened for me, the way he's blessed me, the anointing on my life and all of that. Instead, it made me really consider, Devlin, what's your full story? What's the holistic story to it? Yes, the Lord has called you, but there's this other stuff too. And that's all a part of it. God did not, he's not ignoring other parts of this. And so it was just coming to grips with, this is my story. Mm -hmm. Um, um, It wasn't about labels per se, but it really was about embracing the full narrative. And and then when you can do that, I, I felt like it gave me the privilege to kind of be a part of writing the next chapter of it all with mm. God, you know, mm. where it wasn't yeah. happening to me, but I was a part of it. Right. And that, that was a joy, um, I think, for me. It, it made me feel like, okay, we can do this now that we know this. Yeah. Oh, I like yeah. Uh, I like what you're saying, that it becomes a part of how you write the continued parts of your story with God. That's, yeah. that's good. So I'm just, I'm just reflecting on what you're sharing. And part of what I think about is um, just that idea that pain unprocessed um, can become lodged, I guess, mm-hmm. you know, in us and it can stay locked and hidden away where we think it might not be seen, but it's slowly still uh, leaking out into our behaviors, our worldview, our view of self, our view of God, our view of others. Um, and yet when pain is processed, especially with the Holy Spirit, through the power of the Spirit, pain mm-hmm. not only finds healing, but it finds transformation. Yeah. I think it's most yeah. often through our pain and the pain that we experience in our past even that God is bringing transformation. I think it's part of our discipleship. Yeah, absolutely. How it, So kind of thinking about that, how have you seen this um, processing of your story and recognizing it and owning it. How have you seen that be a part of your actual discipleship? Mm. Wow. Um, um, Wow. That's a really good question. Um, As far as my discipleship goes, I, I really did. I started to learn that because of my childhood context, right? My mom being, the one taking us to church every Sunday and so focused on education and my dad being who he was, that I had grown a very um, split worldview on, on how this stuff worked. I think I learned um, that um, there was life that happened Monday through uh, Saturday Mm-hmm. And then there was church. Mm-hmm. There was Sunday. There was that life. Mm-hmm. And I had parsed those two things, mm-hmm. right? I was good at doing church, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. I was really good at going doing church. And I thought that that was the, 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 the meat of my relationship with God. Mm-hmm. And I used to say, God, look at all the stuff I'm doing for you. Mm-hmm. I'm singing in the choir. I'm helping with the ushers. I am teaching Sunday school. I'm doing all these things. I'm one of the only teenagers doing these things. God, surely you are, you know, proud of mm-hmm. me. My stuff has always kind of been connected to that kind of performance and making the fatherly figure in my life proud and the same thing for God. And I remember that moment where God was just like, man, I don't, I don't want your stuff. I don't want what you do. I want your heart. Mm. I want you. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that was a real big moment for me. And I think this whole journey has just been um, just me learning that more and more Mm -hmm. that um, God's not after the stuff I do. I have no doubt that he's called me to do what I do. Mm-hmm. I have no doubt that I am to be here and in, in, in the Boston area pastoring New City Church as hard as it can be sometimes to be a church planner. I have no 
question uh, that he has called me to be here. I oftentimes question why he did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, okay, seriously, God, yeah. why are we why are we doing this? But never question that he has and that I'm called to it. Um, and I think with that same level of confidence. I had to believe that God is with me and all these other things. And, and that is a, a, a level of discipleship mm-hmm. for me. Um, Absolutely. That he is the Lord of it all. He's called me to walk through it all mm-hmm. and that he's with me in it all. Mm-hmm. And that same spirit that empowers me to preach is the same spirit that's empowering me to walk through these yeah. things. Yeah. And I had to understand that holistic approach. It's been hard at times. There's been some challenges. You know, I was learning in real time mm-hmm. uh, and still learning in real time mental health. Mm-hmm. And it's diagnosis. You're dealing with all the social um, uh, kind of implications and mm-hmm. that, you know, how people understand what they understand, what they don't understand, the Christian perspective, sometimes the traditional perspective of not understanding mental health mm-hmm. um, struggles and, and, and having to figure out just, just who am I if this is also true. And, and I know my story and my mental health struggle is it carries some severe parts to it that most people don't struggle with. Um, but mine's is clinical and it's also, you know, been caused through through challenges I've gone through and and that affects me in very real ways. Um, um, it, it affects my family in really real ways. The fear for them as they've watched me, you know, wrestle through some of this, the pain that I've unintentionally caused as I've struggle with why this is my life and kind of feeling that internal loneliness, um, mm-hmm. you know, that like nobody really understands the journey. Those are all those challenges, but there's also been joys that have come with it. The un- like mm-hmm. to be very, very, very aware of the unfailing love of God, yeah. like yeah. to be very aware of it, that there's, there's nothing I can do to deserve it. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing I can do to lose it. Um, because he loves me that much and understanding just how unwavering love can be from individuals like your family mm-hmm. um, through through ups and downs, thick and thin. And and then really learning to rest on those promises of God. Those are all uh, disciple like steps. And I think about the example of of discipleship we have from Jesus with his disciples. Isn't this what was happening? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. He was dealing with their doubt. He was dealing with their shame. He was dealing with their their inconsistency. Mm-hmm. I mean, even with Judas, he was dealing in with the fact that Judas was never going to choose the right decision. And yet these are the people he chose to walk around with, do life with. And, and so it just really helped me see that um, as long as my answer is yes, and I keep coming back to him, he's always going to keep doing that work in me. And that is the point of it all. There's no arriving position to be in the journey, the process. That is his point. Yeah. That is his goal. When he's done, then I'm in his in his presence. I'm yeah, in heaven. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm seeing him face to face. But until then, we're in the process. And right. the process can be messy. It can be mountaintop like great. It can also be valley, valley low. Mm-hmm. And no matter what, as long as he is walking with us in it, I'm good. Mm-hmm. We can do it. And that's 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 been the biggest lesson of discipleship. Yeah. I feel like I've embraced the most. And that I try to help other people understand too. Yeah. I appreciate you carrying these challenges of coming face to face with your own brokenness, you know, coming face to face with your own fragmentation and a need to become more whole, yet while holding it with God's unfailing love, you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's that incredible, the incredible power of our God to um, carry both pain and sorrow at the same time as carrying his good gifts. Yeah. 
And I don't see how you can hold it together without the the understanding of the unfailing love of God. Yeah. Like, yeah. what is the glue that holds it together otherwise? Right. I think that's why amidst all of this challenge and brokenness, I know some people could say, how could you believe in a God who would let that be true? That would have let you gone through all of this. And I and I would say, how could you go through all of this and not believe in a God? <laughs> because mm-hmm. what else is going to sustain your holy together? Um, yeah. I, w- I wouldn't be here, mm-hmm. literally, if it wasn't for his unfailing love. Sure. Well, I think that sometimes we allow our doing for God to protect us from the actual real humanity that we do have. And so when the doing for God, we start pulling that away and making that less important, it really just leaves us standing before God and just us, his creation, his child, his son, his daughter, and saying, you know what? without all of the doing, it's, I'm just offering you myself and God, can you accept this? And God embraces that and envelops that with his love and says, that's all I ever wanted in the first place. Everything else falls into place. If Mm. we offer our whole self, absolutely the good, the bad, the ugly, the entire, the entirety, the past, the present and the future, just our whole self. Yeah. Yeah. And I would even speak and use that to encourage other ministers and leaders I, I've I've come to realize very quickly that we do much more for the kingdom of God when we're not attempting to be perfect leaders, but but instead striving to be real ones, mm-hmm. letting people see the humanity of leadership and in the pastorate. It, you know, obviously with wisdom, because you can't just go out and air every ounce of your dirty mm-hmm. laundry to the people you're leading. But um, I, I'm confident that people are not looking for perfect leaders; they mm-hmm. they want real ones and. I think they will prefer you not to act like you're perfect when they already know you're not. And then when you, you know, God forbid you, you make a mistake, you know, you can address it as an imperfect person. Um, but it only hurts when you've been given off this perspective that you are mm-hmm. perfect in the first place, which is something we're never supposed to be. So um, I, I think it keeps you humble mm-hmm. when you remember I have to lead from who I am and not some ideal of who I'm supposed to be. Yeah. And it requires going back to that discipleship piece, right? It's the discipleship of our whole self. Like I look mm-hmm. at discipleship as that it's their transformation of Christ being formed in us so that we can greater do his commission, his mission, which is to be the revealed expression of God's love to the world, tangible expression, right? And so the the only way that we can actually express God's love in, in this world is for Christ to be formed in us and to take hold of his love and that is our discipleship. And that means our mental health, discipleship of our mental health. It means discipleship of our physical health. It means discipleship of our emotional health, again, of our past, our present, and our future. Yeah. And so I just thank you so much, again, for um, sharing those parts of your story that I know are, you're, you're becoming more um, in ownership of them. Um, but I know that they're still vulnerable and yeah. I know it's yeah. uh, still a lot to share that. It's a risk to share that. And so I just, I uh, recognize that and hold space for that. And so thank you. Um, but it, God will use and is using your story um, to continue to speak, not just of what God can do and the transformation that God can do in our lives as we surrender everything, but to speak of his love and his kindness. Um, and I think we as ministers, helping professionals, those who are constantly giving care to others, we need this reminder um, for ourselves just as much as we're preaching it and teaching it to others. And so just a final thought, um, 
kind of as we wrap up, I mean, what are, you know, what are some tools um, that you are using right now with the Holy Spirit um, to make sure that you're on this journey to wholeness and addressing, you know, those areas of mental health, emotional health, et cetera? Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll preface that by saying, uh, some of the best parts of all of this has been wholeness. And wholeness doesn't mean that parts aren't weak. It just remain, means that all those parts are connected, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, there are some weak parts, but um, I'm grateful for the wholeness. And it all, I'm grateful for restoration and relationship. Uh, my dad is serving the Lord now. He's like a trustee for the church and, mm-hmm. and all this kind of stuff. It's, it's surreal. Um, and it's like getting to know a new man and we've walked through some tough conversations and some tough times, but they've all been ultimately restorative. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's by the hand of God had things not worked the way that they did when my 14 year old self was praying. I don't think this, this days like today would have come mm-hmm. where there's that restoration. And I want to be sensitive that that's not always possible mm-hmm. for people. Um, and I get that. And that's why everybody's journey is different. I don't mm-hmm. think restoration always means a return to what was mm-hmm. sometimes it's a little different. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing I've I've started to live as by a model is is that I'm not gonna I can't bend out of shape to fit in mm. into any space I'm in. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for the pastor, you think you have to highlight certain roles and, and minimize other other things, and it's like nope, you are who you are. <laughs> Everybody else know it, even if you want to admit it. So I mean, you are you are. We most people can see your shortcomings, even if you're not telling them about it. So That's it good. might be true that you just need to owe them. We we know you, you struggle with pride. We know mm-hmm. that you have a hard time apologizing. We know that you get triggered whenever this happens and stuff like that. You think we don't know, but we know. And so um, and so it's better just to own it. Um, stop bending out of shape to fit in. It's it's who God is who who you are. And so just as much. As I'm not going to pretend not to be a black man when I go into a space, I'm not going to pretend not to um, have the struggles I have. Mm-hmm. Just as much as I'm not going to disown my faith when I'm in a secular space, I'm not going to minimize the fact that I have a story. I think it's all a part of what it means for you to show up. Mm-hmm. And Brene Brown puts it this way: like you know, you know, the real question is, you know, what do you say to yourself if you get to the end of your life and have to ask yourself the question, "What if I had shown up?" What if I had let myself show up in those spaces? And I think that's what I'm after. So a lot of the tools I have, I, w- I wouldn't say that everybody has to have these tools, but, you know, Kristen, these are my tools. <laughs> you know, yeah, this is what works good. for me, both on the practical side of things and on the uh, kind of the spiritual community side of things. And I'll start with the practical side of things. I have medications. Mm-hmm. They work for me. I need them. I've gone without them. Mm-hmm. Um, and until the Lord... Uh, so chooses to kind of heal me and I don't need them. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do what the doctor told me to do. I'm going to take the medication. Yeah, absolutely. I have a, a, a group of health. Like I call them my, my, my crew. Uh, it's my therapist, my psychiatrist and my primary care physician. I make sure they're talking to each other. So we all know what's going on. Um, um, and I keep them, you know, meeting with them as regular as I, as I need to, yeah. to just make sure that on the biological side of things, the chemical side of things, I'm okay. Mm-hmm. And with my therapist on the emotional and mental yeah. side of things that I'm doing, what I need to do. And, and that's a mind, body, spirit thing, right? Mm-hmm. So for me, that's my therapist helps me with the, the uh, emotional and mind side of it. So mm-hmm. does my psychiatrist. Um, uh, and my, my physical doc, uh, physical, my doctor, uh, primary care sheet health wise, I want to be a part of, uh, a part of that, but I work out, I, I try to, you know, work out so many times a week, go for walks. I try to do those things that keeps my, 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 myself healthy because 
this is all a part of the temple of the Holy Spirit, including my, my mind and, and, and spirit as well. And so when I realized that I'm taking care of all of those things, this part of me that God has entrusted me with, my own space of domain here, mm-hmm. um, of do- and like I get to dominate or lead myself, um, I feel like I'm a lot healthier across the board, Absolutely. mentally speaking and everything else. Um, and spiritually uh, speaking into that, um, I have a group, uh, a couple groups of people that I just kind of meet with on a regular basis within my church. You know, I lean into some of our leaders um, in the relationship there. Every Tuesday morning, 6.30 a.m., we're up praying for each other, warring for each other's marriages and each other's health and all that. Um, and then I have another group that I meet with on Wednesday nights every week. That's about accountability and, and you know, where are you in this journey? Um, I've done groups of like group therapy sessions and stuff like that. And those have also been very helpful. But I think the biggest part of it is just keep bringing this to the Lord and letting other people walk with you. Yeah, um, The journey of letting my wife walk with me in this, not being ashamed of it, not mm-hmm. thinking that it makes me less of a man for her mm-hmm. has been um, healthy for our marriage, has been, has grown um so much in an intimacy with regarding our marriage and and then i have two young boys um by all accounts based on my dad's story i'm pretty sure he struggles with some of the things i do just never diagnosed so i'm aware that my boys could could have anxiety and all of that as well and so i want to talk to them honestly as much as i can at age appropriateness for that and i think it being a part of the ebb and flow of our of our family um those are all tools i think that have helped yeah having conversations like this and showing up yeah. Oh. Yeah. So good. Uh, I appreciate it, Devlin, so much. So yeah, much. My pleasure, Kristen. Thank you for for hosting these and thanks for having me. Yeah. I mean, I, again, just thank you for opening your heart, um, your wisdom, your life, your story. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> well, I know we could still have so much more to talk about, but I just appreciate um just the points that you've made uh, through your story, those tools, um, and really uh, that last point, even just with your your family, your wife and your kids and the importance of that. It's that generational um, change, right? It's good. Yeah. Yeah. The denial and the confusion, it stops with me. I can't yeah. control, you know, whether or not they, they may struggle with some of this, um, but they won't do it in silence or alone. Yeah, that's for sure. Amen. Yeah, we're changing that generational curse Amen. now. Yeah. Amen. That's good. Amen. Yeah. Well, thank you again. And um, we're just praying blessing again over your continued journey, your family, and the work you're doing there in Newton. So grateful for you. You're part of our family. Yeah. Oh, thanks, Kristen. You too. Love you guys. Thank you. <laughs>